0: Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and how it's affecting us now as adults. And today, I'm very excited to introduce our guest. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me to start. My name is Shai Zumar, and uh, yeah, should I just start with like where I've lived or like or or am I a TCK? Whatever you want. (laughs) Uh,
0: Whatever you want. Usually, yeah, what's your nationality and where you've lived? That's usually the first question.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I'm a Honduran-Palestinian. I have both nationalities from Honduras and Palestine. And I was born and grew up in Honduras, but I would spend almost every single summer, which I could, in uh, Palestine. So I guess that was like my childhood. But then after I turned 18, I moved to the United States and now I live in Belgium. So I've, you know, tried to move as much as possible as well after <laughs> after my childhood.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess I'm just curious, um, how is it that you're parents is what did they move to honduras do you have one parent who's honduranian and another parent who's palestinian or how did it come that you grew up in H- honduras
1: so this is like a, a really interesting uh story actually and i was like even more i was like extremely interested in also my my father's story primarily because i even read a book like an, an academic anthropology book on like palestinians in honduras but my dad actually was born in honduras even though he didn't know uh, back in nine, yeah, like in nineteen twenty four, I had a really old parent, uh, mm-hmm. old old father, and um, he moved back to Palestine during the British mandate. So before, like you know, the state of Israel even existed. The, after World War Two, he was trying to find a place to live, and he was thinking about moving to Canada, but he ended up moving back to Honduras by accident because his uncle lived there. Uh, when he re- when he got there he realized like, oh man, I'm also Honduran because he realized he was actually born there with his like paperwork. And that makes you a Honduran citizen by default because Honduras has a, you know, citizenship by birth. And he decided, you know, I'm just going to stay here because uh, you know how difficult sometimes (laughs) it is to get papers. I think TCK individuals would understand how difficult it is to migrate to a country. So he took the opportunity, like just knowing that he was actually born there. Eventually he married my mom uh, much later and then she moved from from Palestine to Honduras with him. She had never actually been to Honduras before, so that was like a really big move for her as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's really huge to leave the only country you've known and then all of a sudden be in a completely different country. Um, so I- it's
2: also interesting that you still have a sort of like several generations of people moving around. It just seems to be a thing, I don't know, because my parents have moved, Layla's parents have moved. It's just an interesting thing that, you know, there tend to be a couple of generations that will do it rather than just one. Oh, yeah, and I think
1: I think for sure, like for me... I've always looked back to like my dad's example, you know. if he did it, if he risked so much back in the day where internet didn't exist, you know, like you had to send telegrams sometimes and stuff, um, <laughs> you know, why would I not do it? Yeah, I always think about that as well. That's always been like a motivating factor for me mm. personally. And uh, a lot of friends who've actually moved as well uh, from people I know from my undergrad studies and stuff, they always tend to cite their parents as well. Uh, I, think, I think I agree with you fully. Mm. Like it, it, I think it sets a precedence and, and it makes it a lot more accessible like mentally to people. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's definitely interesting. I guess a question I have for you, because I I know this is always a term that's very hard for TCKs to define. I know for me it's very hard. Um, is what is home for you? Um, I actually have a very funny story based on that question, because when I was in college, uh, one of my friends, I was going for Thanksgiving break, and I wrote to them. I was like, Oh, I'm coming home. I'm going home, and he goes wait, home in Algeria, because my parents were living in Algeria at the time, home New York City, because my godmother was in New York City, or home the school that you're staying at right now? And I was like, that's a good clarifying question. Um, I'm coming back to the school. He was like, okay, just so I know where your location is in case you go missing. I was like, morbid, but thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess for me it's pretty simple. I'd argue like home – is not specifically Honduras, but even more specifically like the city of San Pedro Sula because my parents weren't ones who actually would take me around Honduras a lot. I always felt like that was one of the things that always felt very different between me and other people. It's like there would be a lot of internal tourism, right? And then my parents would be like, the summer's around, we're going back to Palestine. I was like, okay, you know, so I would just, you know, miss out on all the summer and all the possibilities of hanging out in Honduras. But for me, home is definitely San Pedro Sula. I've come to feel very different to that recently uh because i've lived uh, outside san pedro since i've been i've been a teen i'm 25 now so like it's been a couple of years and every single time i go back i do realize like oh man you know like this yeah this was my childhood home but but it feels like there is less to return to every single time my parent my, my mom and my brother still live there uh but to be honest that's like what makes me just go home like i i to be, i think if my mom and my brother wouldn't live there i would just not be back mhm mhm mhm
0: so it's more it's the idea of that was home because that's where you grew up, but it's not home. Is in like a physical space that you constantly want to return to, other than the people who are there.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's been the case more and more. I do miss my my room specifically sometimes from my childhood, which I I always thought it's a really weird thing to miss, but uh, but yeah, but like exactly what you referenced, it's it's more like uh, I I miss the people, and every single time I'm there, it just feels a bit more foreign to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. So.
0: I guess um, now that you're living in Belgium, which I'm sure is very different from where you've lived in before, how is it living in this country uh, versus when you were living in the States, when you were living in Honduras?
1: You know, to be honest, Belgium is the first time I've like, fe- felt extremely foreigner. And this is like, I guess, uh, weird because you always, you always feel like, oh, you don't fit, right? Like, oh man, yeah, it's weird. I guess my friends celebrate these things that way. I have a different religion or whatever and stuff like that. Um, but it's like, I come to Belgium and it's like, I, I and I just recently moved back. I was here in two thousand nineteen and then moved to California for a year and then I came back recently again to finish my studies. And uh, and I went to the supermarket after being in the U.S., a place I'm really comfortable in. Um, for a year and i show up and i go to the supermarket and it's just, i just couldn't read like what was on the on the tags right and i was just like wow you know and that was again a reminder of like you can get more foreign than you already were you know like you can truly right. <laughs> push it further so so for me that's been like the biggest realization of being in belgium uh i think i think it's interesting because um ultimately and i don't like to categorize countries as like west and east and stuff like that i'm not a big a big uh I'm not a big fan of that, but like it is ultimately a European country, you know, it's a Western European country. So it has a lot of similarities to like, yeah, again, just uh, countries which like the United States that have like big uh, outputs, right. That are, that you can actually experience through like movies and stuff. So it's not that different to be here, but the, the biggest difference is the, is the language barrier. I mean, yeah, there's interactions with the individuals, mm-hmm. what the expectations at work are, university are like expectations for, for relationships and friendships are different, I guess a bit, but I've never felt that they're like, per se extremely different they're more like quirky if you want to call it that way Mm -hmm. but the language is like what kills me that's for sure but people are proud you know to speak Flemish here uh so it's it's even though everybody speaks English perfectly and I am immensely appreciative of that it's not the same you know like they just look at you as the
2: foreigner (laughs) so yeah I don't know i was gonna say suppose, m- yeah it's an interesting one because flemish is one of those languages that nobody really talks about anywhere else apart from in belgium it's, like, it's the only place where it matters everywhere else it's just like, nah yeah and then all people will just say it's dutch
1: nah. and then the and then a lot of the belgians will be like no no it's not dutch it's flemish and they'll try to make a <laughs> difference and um and i mean i'm not one to argue with that because i don't know anything you know about like the the specific <laughs> linguistics so i'm not going to comment on that but uh but that's the whole point it just you know it's and it's just really weird because you're there in the supermarket and it, everything's written in like a million languages, but it's not like the whole language you know. it's like it's either Flemish, German or <laughs> Dutch right oh, sorry, or uh, or French and you're like, well, I know I at least personally don't know any of those three languages so um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know I guess I guess I chose the wrong country language wise to come to <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, actually that's really interesting. Why did you choose to move to Belgium?
1: um so I had like this I guess like anybody else when I graduated had this really big crisis of what I wanted to do and I knew some uh, Belgian researchers who did who worked on sustainable metallurgy and materials so that's what I do now it's like I'm getting a master's degree in sustainable materials and I'm interested in like knowing how to produce cleaner metals and how to recycle metals that's like my interest and and Belgium is like the place to be apparently for that so I got a pretty good uh, nice deal i guess this is something as a tck you always sort of like know it's that there are benefits to doing some stages of your life in some places like cheaper graduate school uh Mm. so i was just like yeah definitely not paying grad school in the united states i did undergrad there it was expensive as hell i'm out you know (laughs) so i came to belgium and uh i have no regrets in this manner whatsoever i think the university is really prestigious and uh and there's been really big like slap in the face sort of expectations because you know education in the united states is like it is like a whole culture on itself and then i came here and there were like other things to expect so i hit a wall in that regard but again i think i i achieved the things i came to do which was to become an expert in, in the field and, and belgium is a very rigorous scientific country so um you know i i have no complaints in that in that regard
3: mm-hmm.
1: but that's why i moved ultimately and it was all in a flim i had never been here before uh something just, uh, new <laughs> yeah, exactly, and you know, I actually was a bit disappointed to realize how, like, to realize it wasn't that different. I guess I got here and and it was very naive of me, cause like, oh man, there's still subways, there's still buses, and I was like, what was I expecting? You know, like, how different can I really push different, right? Uh, and my friends were like, really, are you disappointed? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, and I was becoming like really cynical. My friends were like, oh, you should go to Amsterdam. I'm like, ah, oh, but what is there in Amsterdam? More people just drinking and, and eating. That's because I've come to realize there's a if there's a universe universal thing in the world is that people love to drink and eat. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, you know, uh, you know, drinking is a uh, can be any choice, right? Alcoholic, non alcoholic, tea, coffee, or whatever. But the whole point is, you'll find a bunch of people sitting around talking and drinking and eating. And when I showed up, I was like very cynical. I was like, come on, did I just move half around the world to do the same thing I was doing back home, <laughs> drinking and eating? <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I've changed my mind slowly. I've come to realize there's bigger things than than just those two things. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um,
2: I suppose one of the things we do like to talk about on the podcast is food. Is there any particular kinds of foods or drinks that you actually enjoy in Belgium that you don't get elsewhere? Um. That's hard. I don't... I mean, I don't want
1: to insult, insult any Belgians, but I don't think Belgian food is particularly good, for at least for my taste. Um, and I think a lot of... Uh, Belgians... <laughs> Belgians will tell you directly, like, oh, man, it sucks. Like, why did you come here? And I've always been... I've always thought, like, wow, how... Because I think Belgium is a great country. Like, honestly, it's a great place to be like, and to live. But like, a lot of Belgians just... Uh, i mean from my experiences with a lot of like a lot of interactions with students they tend to be very surprised that you chose this country to come it's like why this country out of all the countries like and i try to remind them like yeah you know it's a really cool place it's uh, you know like you guys know what's going like what's up you have a really functioning society and stuff uh, mm-hmm. but that helps uh, me, usually <laughs> yeah but for me like the biggest things that i've come to encounter here that i always thought have been amazing are like well beer first of all i live in leuven belgium which is like one of the world capitals of beer. It's, like, where Stella Artois made has, like, the biggest beer factory yep. in the world, I think. <laughs> and then you get, like, all these Belgian triples and other types of Belgian beer. So that's been awesome. And uh, and then there's, like, a bunch of, like, random things. Like, the fries here are amazing. You know, like, uh, just, mm. like... You know, I don't want to call them French fries because I'll also offend what people. It? But uh, <laughs> that's what Americans would call it. But, you know, Belgian fries are amazing. And then they dip it in um, in this, like, beef stew. It's got, I, I, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. It's called, like, stopfless. And it's just a bee- like a really thick beef stew. It's almost to the point that it's a sauce, and you can like dip your fries in oh. it, and it's just oh, so, good. so good. So yeah, it's <laughs> so good. So like this is amazing here, and also the mayo is really good here because like, you know they don't dip their fries in uh, in, uh, in ketchup. They do it. For- they dip it in mayo. And I thought at the beginning, oh, man, that, that sounds horrible. And I tried it, and I was like, but wait, the mayo here is actually, like, the cheapest mayo is, like, the best mayo in the U.S., for example. Like, it's just substantially better. <laughs> so I became, like, a mayo fan. And then when I moved back to the U.S. Uh, last year, I remember me trying to figure out if, like, oh, man, you know, like, the, the mayo that is actually at the standard of Belgium is, like, $8 a jar. And then I would still buy yeah. it because I was like, yeah. you know, whatever. It's, like, I've, mayo is just such a good food. I, I missed that when I was in the U.S. Uh, but those are like simple pleasures I have here. I
0: guess another one i'm I'm curious about is, is there food that you miss from Honduras and from Palestine?
1: Yeah, um, so I mean I've been I, I like to cook a lot, so I've been recreating like almost all the Palestinian dishes that I like uh, so far. Uh, like, the home versions, right? There's obviously, like... And I think this is what people always forget. It's there's stuff that you can get at home and stuff you can get, like, in restaurants. And people Mm -hmm. always have these perceptions of what, like... You know, maybe in your case, like, Japanese food. Like, it's always whatever people serve in restaurants. Mm -hmm. But it's not, like... That's not a good representation of, like, probably what people cook at home, right? Um, So for what people cook at home, I've been able to recreate that. But for Palestinian food, I always miss, like, a good shawarma. Like, a good Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's hard to find. Like, there is a place... Um, and I'll go to falafel as well. I remember, and you guys—I assume you guys have lived in Worcester, so like,
0: I didn't live in Worcester, but I went and visited Faro when okay. she was going to school in Worcester. Uh, Faro, for anyone who hasn't heard any of her older podcasts, which shame on you—you you need to go listen to it. Faro and I was our first uh, interviewee, and she and I are very old friends. Um, but yeah, when she was living in Worcester, I went and visited her a couple times. I think we actually went. Did we get falafel? I don't know. It's been a couple years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to say is actually, like, my friends and I would drive all the way to Providence, which is, like, an hour drive to get falafel because it was, like, the only legitimate, like, Arab place we knew. That was, like, good (laughs) enough to be, like, Middle Eastern level. And for me, I've never been able to find a place that's as good. And shawarma. So I miss that in the Middle East. And then Honduran food, it's, like, uh, Honduran food is very diverse. It's almost, like, Mexican and Caribbean combined. And there's a lot of, like, things that are unique to Honduras. But it's hard to find that... um, here but one thing that i always miss about honduras is like tamales but how they're made ah. in honduras those are really hard to recreate right because you need so many ingredients and in that and uh the other thing that i always miss is like really fresh tortillas like um <laughs> you know that are just made like fully from like white corn that it's like fresh white corn and it's like done properly it's not like milled in an artificial manner like that's hard that's even hard to get sometimes yeah. in honduras because things have become so industrialized but uh but I miss that. And that's just almost impossible to like, at least to get here. And I was and,
0: watching, go ahead. <laughs> sorry.
1: yeah. And Belgium has like, like, I mean, maybe this is in Europe and like in general, but at least my impression is that in Belgium, getting Latino food is particularly difficult. That's something that was very impressive to me. Mm. It's like in the U S you can always get like Latino food. It's very accessible, even middle Eastern food, especially if you're in a big city like New York, you can get any food. Right. Uh, but right. then I'm, <laughs> I'm here in Belgium, and it's like I was talking to a bunch of friends who've actually lived in Latin America, Belgian friends, and they tell me, "Oh, it's impossible!" Like people have no notion whatsoever Mm -hmm. of what like authentic Latino food looks like, and and that that sometimes is difficult. Yeah,
0: I know. When I was living in Paris, that was our biggest thing that we missed because most other foods we could kind of fill that craving. Mm -hmm. Paris has a very large Asian community, and I say the general because they really do they have a fairly large japanese population there's a very big vietnamese uh population um so there there is opportunity to get asian style food um there is opportunities to get food from um certain african countries because there's a fairly large Mm -hmm. um put like there was a very large number of immigrants that came from North Africa and from the French horn. And there's also quite a bit of Middle Eastern food because there's a lot Mm. of different communities um, that have moved into France. So that food was very accessible. But any sort of Latino food, forget it, you were just never going to find it. So we would just have to, as best we could, recreate it at home because there was no way we were going to find it on the local market I don't know how it is in England
2: I think it's probably very similar because you don't have that connection in the same way Mm -hmm. it's easier kind of like the stuff like coming from Europe itself it's easier to get hold of that sort of thing and then again the Middle East because you know the history of the empire and all that sort of stuff there are people who come (laughs) over from there even things like Chinese and Japanese food is just not going to be as good it just isn't it isn't going to be as good um Britain, yeah, it tends to look towards the continent more than anything else. So that's that's the thing is you can find good restaurants and you can find stuff that would be similar. But then because it's so nearby, it's going to be easier. It's just going to be how it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, British people do still sort of see things like, you know, like the wines and the cheeses from Europe as being the best. So they will want yeah. to import them. That's how they deal with things like that. Whereas other stuff, I think, you know, they're not. it is difficult to find. So you'd have to make it yourself. And even then for some stuff, you it's difficult to find the ingredients and all that sort of stuff. So you're not going to get... It'd be harder to make it authentic i would say mm-hmm. but i'm um, i mean like if i might say something about this, it's like, really interesting that we have like
1: and i think anybody who's like traveled a lot is a tck is very keen to like being extremely aware of our food because for example mm. um and i have like multiple observations i think food for me is one of my biggest expressions and uh the first one is <laughs> i learned how to cook abroad so when i moved to like out of Honduras, i didn't know how to cook properly i mean i, I knew how to survive like but like how to make dishes and how to prepare food like, I've come to really hone that a lot. But a lot of the dishes I make now are extremely, like, uh, you know, European or Western, right? It's, like, anything from a really proper mashed potatoes with the right type of potatoes, right? Like, I can get to choose what the potatoes are here in <laughs> Belgium, for example. Something that you can't really do somewhere else. In Honduras, you only have one type of potato. But here, it's, like, you can get specific types of potatoes. The ones that are more starchy, <laughs> one ones less, less starchy, you know? And then also... Uh, so like that, I, I sometimes I go back home to Honduras and I'm like, oh man, let me let me, let me make this, I'm talking to my brother, like let me make this thing I learned how to make in Belgium. It's like a sauce with this. It's like my French, but it also has this. And it's like, I'm trying to get, and then I can't find something as simple as shallots. Like shallots are just not a thing in Honduras. Right? And it's crazy to me because it's just like here, I can get like 20 shallots for like a euro and I don't even know what to do with all these shallots, right? Like, and then I go to Honduras <laughs> and it's just like, hey, I need a shallot. And they're like, oh you know we what is that you know like we have these small red onions that i'm like it's not the same thing you know like (laughs) uh and it's just so frustrating uh so that's one thing and then um the other thing i was gonna say it's like how how like opportunistic you become about the food every single time you're traveling because when i went to california Mm -hmm. i was like i'm in california and it was like, are you gonna try the tex-mex food i was in the san francisco bay area right so uh i was just like no you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna like overdose in asian food like that's what i'm gonna do like every time i have a chance like uh, i was dating somebody back then we would go out for like just sushi like like the most authentic sushi you could probably get in the u.s was like in san francisco bay area because it's just like Mm -hmm. there's such an asian community and it's always had an asian community and and because it always has had an asian community like people have a have a notion of what good asian food is so people Mm -hmm. will actually support good restaurants and that's like you know it's a it's a it's an iterative process so you don't get like oh that's the only good place it's like no you know there is a competition among which is the best ramen in San Francisco so <laughs> so there's an incentive to become even better right uh and and that's always like, for me, it's, you know, people always thought, that's so weird that you're actually going out for that. I'm like, no, because I understand as a, as a person who's like lived in, in multiple places abroad, like how opportunistic you have to be about these things. And the other way around also exists for me when I came to Europe, like in Honduras, we don't get any of the cheeses, for example, and the wines and stuff like that. And if you do it, they're extremely yeah. expensive. They're like double the price. So for me, it's every single time I go to the supermarket, I'm just like... I'm like worried about my financial statement because I'm just spending so much money on like all these different types of cheeses and like <laughs> things that you can't get in Honduras, like types of olives, types of, uh, uh, you know, and my friends, also my friends here in uni, they're like, are you sure you're a university student? Cause you spend like an enormous amount of food, uh, like money on food. And, and, and I'll like, you know, I'll dish out like the other day, my friend, my friend came to you. We have like, you know, now with COVID we have a limited amount of contact. So like one of my friends who I have contact with, he came over, we had dinner. And I was just like, yeah, we should make something simple. So I remember I seared a steak and made a butter sauce over it and stuff. And he was just like, is this your simple dinner? I'm like, yeah. I mean, you think about it, it's only like maybe five ingredients. And he's looking at me. He's like, really? And I'm like, you don't understand. I take every single chance to make the most European dish ever because these ingredients are impossible to find in Honduras. Like, I'll never find this type of cut of meat. I'll never find, like, fresh thyme like it is here. I'll never find a shallot. (laughs) You you better <laughs> bet that there's going to be a shallot in this sauce, you know? <laughs> so, for me, it's... Yeah, I, I I for me, that's always been an interesting point. Like, how opportunistic you can truly be with the food and how appreciative you become of that. And the more you travel and the more you start mi- realizing, oh, these things are just here, right? Like, no, nowhere else.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: mm Yeah. I was
0: going to say, for you, Marcus, thing, though, when you it? went to Japan, you absolutely, like,
2: went oh, yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, just... Because when, like... He- 2020 just before everything kicked up with covid and goodness me it was like it was sashimi it was octopus it was anything i could get my hands on just because you can't get it in the uk there's just nothing like it and it's and it's so widely available so you just go i'm having this now because i know that it's gonna be a long time before i can have it again in a proper form and even if you go to, to places in the uk to try and make it yourself it's just like it's difficult to find the things that you really would want to make it kind of how it would be it's it's actually much more difficult than people make out yeah even with even with the supermarkets and stuff it's just more difficult yeah exactly for for example i was trying
1: to show to my friends what ceviche is which is like the raw fish Mm. right and it's just so hard to like find ceviche grade fish here in belgium and 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 like this type like lingualo, the type of fish that you would use in peru for example or in like uh, in other south american or central american countries. so i ended up just like choosing you know any any random uh, white uh, fish i could find like that was a flash frozen Mm. because also there is the The fact that you know it has to be both fresh uh, it can be fresh but it also has to be like food grade safe so I mean there's also like parasitic Mm -hmm. concerns and uh, as a a person who's traveled a lot alone I guess you've also become extremely like anxious about the fact you can like poison yourself so for me it's always I tell myself like I always tell my friends and myself like oh man you know if I can't guarantee this is like the grade I needed I'm not making ceviche and they're like how do you know and I'm like I looked into it you know like to be able to kill the uh, tapeworm eggs you have to like fast freeze it at negative 25 so I'm like looking for a specific item in a foreign language right like just <laughs> an impossible task it's impossible to communicate what you want uh to the people like in the store right so it's just uh, it's always a, it makes up for a, always a hilarious experience and uh but i, I think ultimately like in belgium is a good place to be like if there's such a foreign population like a uh, expat population here that people mm. like there's massive like uh groups for every single city like there's a group called like expats in Leuven and in facebook and i literally just like posted hey i need I posted the question of the fish, which my friends at the time were laughing at me. Like, nobody's going to answer your question about like, where can you get a white fish for ceviche (laughs) that has been flash frozen. And I got like five actual like paragraph long, uh, responses about like this really? yeah this fishery gets it, this thing this person gets it for you this you know you can also use this other fish oh man this fish is and everybody's discussing and i'm not even like joining this it's, like it's other people discussing at this point right and my friends are just like i guess all expats must be as weird as you are like in their <laughs> minds it's like is, is is raw fish you know such a delicacy that you guys can't live without it i'm like yeah you just, you've never had ceviche man so you don't get it <laughs>
0: You don't know the lengths we'll go to to make
3: this dish because
1: exactly. I miss it. And then you end up um, paying like 10 euros for limes, right? Because limes in Latin America are super cheap, cheap, and here it's like a euro a lime. And, you, and for the recipe, it's like 35 limes.
3: <laughs> you're like, N- I don't have that
1: money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you already bought the fish, and you're buying the limes, and then you realize the limes are gonna be more expensive than the fish, and you're at this point, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it's all all everything especially regrets all the feelings (laughs) happiness sadness regrets no regrets (laughs) everything (laughs)
0: um so kind of going on a slightly different topic um do you like traveling like the actual aspect of going from one country to another country and if so what's your favorite part about traveling and what's the thing you hate the most about it
1: This is a hard question because I think traveling is a very um, effort intensive task, right? And I think it really depends mm-hmm. on like what you're feeling in your life at the moment. Because if, and I think this is like anybody who's ever moved, you know, like the, the, the circumstances of the move really, um, you know, like they add all this context and all this meaning to like your, 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 um, your viewpoint, your, your point of view towards like the actual move. If it's gonna be a vacation, if you're going with friends, if you're moving towards a better job, for me, like, mm-hmm. or a better opportunity for me, travels like, the best thing. Like, and everything looks positive, right? But then when you do it in a dreadful manner, it can be horrible. And I think especially now with COVID, traveling has become really difficult. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I had an 11-hour flight where I had to keep a mask on. That's, like, just dreadful, right? Um, and that's not even the longest flight you can be on, right? And yeah. um, so I think it all depends. Do I like traveling? I think, I think, like, airports, I used to like them. I've come to like them less. Uh, every single time <laughs> I just see them as a task at this point but if it's like if I'm going to some place if I'm going to one someplace new I've never been before and I have some idea of what I want to see extremely exciting and then second if I'm traveling to a place I've been before but I'm traveling with people who've never been there I'm extremely mm. excited to show them like what I've seen because that's one of the things that I always look back and I think in a very actually almost like melancholic and deep sad ways I always think like I've traveled a lot I've seen a lot I've seen a lot of cities I've, and Uh, a lot of my peers back home, a lot of childhood friends, a lot of friends even from undergrad, like they haven't traveled as much as I am. And I tend to be so excited about some things that, and it's impossible to me for for me to explain to them. And that for me has always been like a sad point about like my existence, to be honest. It's like, oh, I can never explain Mm -hmm. to you like what I saw here and there in Antwerp or whatever. And uh so, so that, that, that for me, like, when I get a chance of, like, somebody comes to visit me, like, the first time my brother ever came to visit me to my undergrad university after four years of me living there, like, that for me was just, like, the best thing ever, right? Like, so under those circumstances, like, fun, traveling can be so fun. But, yeah, it's very circumstantial, right? Like, it's, it really depends. I can't be just, like, oh, traveling sucks, even though, like, with COVID, it's become really, you know, like, such a mm-hmm. chore. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. I did it, like, a couple, a couple times, uh, and I did the quarantines and everything. And, but, yeah, they're not fun, but necessary, unfortunately uh but yeah it all depends on the circumstance
3: mm-hmm.
1: but i mean something i'll always say is doing tsa <laughs>
0: <laughs> i would like to find someone who actually enjoys tsa like come at me let me know send me a
3: message personally
1: Why you know, do there's you such like TSA. difference between moving when you're moving and when you're just going to on a vacation, because like, for example, when I moved from uh, California to Honduras just before coming here, actually, I spent like a two months and I had all my stuff because I was moving out of California with the plan to go to Hon- to go to Belgium again. But I was doing a pit stop in Honduras. I took all my life in my two bags and everything in my backpack and stuff. And I stopped and they're like, sir, please take off all your electronic devices, right? And I'm like, sure. I'm pulling out my, my work laptop. I'm pulling my my personal laptop. I'm pulling out my Kindle. I'm pulling out my iPad. I'm pulling out all these things. Um, and they're looking at me like man really and i'm just like yeah cuz i'm moving you know like this is all i have this is like this is my personal identity right like which is something i also came to realize recently like how important your actual items are the more you move like mm-hmm. your items literally become an impression and i can't remember which author talked about this but it's like or which philosopher says that literally the items you own become like a your footprint as, a, as an identity your fingerprint of your identity but it was just like uh, because i had this situation where when I'm getting off track, well, the whole point is like I hate I hate it when you go through TSA and you're moving. There's a the difference between that and oh, I'm going on vacation and all you have is like maybe your Kindle and your laptop. It's like two electronic devices, and that's all you have to take out. When you're moving, it's a nightmare. Nightmare. Well, talking about like personal items, I had this bit of a crisis. I, it took me six rebookings to get from uh, Honduras to Belgium this last time, this February. It was massive, uh, and I was about to just like literally not move. I was just like you know, forget it. Like this is this is what's gonna take. I, I don't care. I, I don't care about my degree anymore. <laughs> I'm just gonna drop it. But um at one point, I get to, I, I, I traveled four hours to another airport to get on a flight to Belgium. And then when I get there, they tell me that I can only take one of my two check-in bags. And it wasn't made clear to me mm. in, my, um, in the check-in online, right? And I had this crisis, right? I had this, I was like, man, I can't leave half of my belongings behind. Because these are the things I've been chugging along with me for the last four years. Like, <laughs> like the sweater okay. I'm wearing with me has personal... Has, has personal, you know, like significance to me more than like, this sweater has been with me more than people have been with me, you know, like, think about that, like, uh, and I have to leave it behind. I, I just, I refuse to get on that flight. I was just, I, I came back, I left and, you know, uh, family couldn't go into the airport because of COVID. And my brother's like what's going on and i was just so angry i almost like I, I swear like if i would have been a bit more angry i would have probably broken my own windshield of my own car i was just so angry and he was just like he had never seen me this angry and i was just like drive back drive the four hours back to home and he just couldn't believe it and i look back and i'm like i would have never guessed that would have been my response to somebody asking me to leave half of my personal belongings behind because it's mm. become you know such a like such a you know piece of my identity really like these things that i carry with me everywhere i go and it's Mm. always and it's it's really difficult right because you only have these like limited amount of bags and you're always asking yourself Mm. oh you know like should i take that or should i take this and then it's a question of what what do i appreciate more which is so hard like do I appreciate more this thing that somebody gifted me but has no functional use or like or maybe do yeah. i appreciate more like this other thing like maybe a notebook that is already full but it's a diary maybe i should digitalize it or or something like that right like mm. it's always very stressful but um yeah for me that's was, always been like difficult suppose,
2: yeah like it's the same thing though, i think like yeah i think everybody has that because like there are some musical instruments that i had as when i was younger and then i've managed to get hold of them and i don't want to be in a situation where i'm not with them anymore because they carry sort of a personal even if they're not the best musical instruments in the world though, they're personal because they, you know they carry memories and all that sort of stuff and it attaches you to your family and that kind of thing the item has its own sort of personality because it's been with you for so long and for what whatever reason it's if somebody asks you to get rid of them or, or words who ask me to get rid of them, I might be furious as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly.
1: Like it's and then you know what's the worst part of all this as well is that it's not only with the items you already have, it's the items that you will acquire. Because for me, there is mm. a future move in like the horizon, right? Like I might move next year to Austria for my master's thesis, or I, I might mm-hmm. stay here, I might move back to the United States later, you know, for work, I don't know. Um, and, and it's always like, I'm a really big fan of coffee. That's like well, one thing I explore throughout mm-hmm. the world. And I get like I am very particular about the mugs I get and stuff like that. Like, and I'm always like, man, can, could I take this mug with me? Like, I always think about that. Like, <laughs> am I willing to spend fifteen euros in this beautiful piece of art? But like, would I carry it with me? Like, would I? And it's oh, and I hate that sort of style of life. I've come to hate it. This is one of the things I really hate about traveling. It's not like the actual traveling process. It's like the the idea that they're traveling because you're always trying to volumetrically optimize your life. Like that. That's it's like. Maybe that's a very scientific way of putting it. but It's a volumetric optimization of your life. Um, and that for me is very stressful. And, and it, I think it strips away some, some really basic joys. I'll give you an example. One that I've been really struggling with recently is, uh, is the enjoyment of a physical book. I have a Kindle and I carry my library in the Kindle and I've been reading uh, A Little Life. I can't, I can't pronounce it like the author's last name. I'm sorry, but a great book. You should look it up. You know, really good book. And, um, but it's a massive book. It's like 720 pages. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, um, would, I, would I ever read that physically? Probably not. Like, you know, and I, but, I, but I'm right now on page 470 or 480. And I'm just like, damn, I just don't want to read on my Kindle anymore. You know, like I want to, <laughs> first of all, sit in a coffee shop, something that is impossible now with COVID. And second, read this in a physical book, you know. And, and that's like something that I think being like a, you know, like a nomad has sort of stripped me of. Like, uh, and it's the most basic things. But, but, you know, but surprisingly, it's things that really could come to annoy you. Mm-hmm. Mm,
0: yeah, I was gonna say I know that for me growing up probably the heaviest thing that my family ever brought from country to country to country was our books and now that yeah. I've lived in a place more permanently I probably will move again I know that's gonna happen but I can 100% guarantee the heaviest things combined between myself and my partner are our books and it's actually a really it's like subconscious I don't really think about it but mm one of my favorite places I like to go to is this comic book shop. And every time I go, there's this subconscious like discussion that I have with myself where it's like, I really want to read this book. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I want to read it because with comic books, it's very hard to translate to digital unless you're using Mm -hmm. like an app that, that uh, Mm -hmm. artists can subscribe, can upload their work to. But most comics are printed in books. And if I want to read it, I'm going to have to buy the book. But then there's this internal struggle where I'm like, I don't have any more bookshelf space. Like, I am literally now going to have to get another bookshelf because I have that many new books. And, like, for example, I just finished reading this incredible comic book called The Black Panther Party um, by David Mm. F. Walker and Marcus Kwame Anderson. Fascinating. Totally interesting. I would have never been able to get this digitally. But then it's like, okay, this is another book in my collection. And Mm. the next time I move, it is going to be the heaviest thing that I'm going to have to (laughs) move. Because I just, I can't stop buying books. I just, there's something about the texture, the feel. I have a Kindle. I almost never buy something because I'm like, I just want to feel the book in my hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Yeah, Um,
1: When I moved from Worcester to to Honduras after University, I shipped all my books and I remember like multiple boxes got home and my mom was furious. She's like, how much do you pay for
3: this? I'm like
1: and I'm also really particular about the print I'm like mom look this is an Edward Said copy because like also I'm trying to convince my mom since that's a Palestinian author like this is an Edward Said philosopher he's a Palestinian <laughs> copy of like you know from from 1997 it has this version with this commentary you can't really get this I got it in a thrift shop at the Harvard book show st- st- you know story and my mom's like I don't care you know like you it's a buck <laughs> yeah you paid more for the shipping than the value of the books it's like it's the personal value mom <laughs> but uh, yeah so. <laughs> Um, I
0: am I am curious. um, I know this is kind of shifting a little bit again, but um, what's a tradition or another way of like saying is like a quirk that you have from another culture that you carry with you? Like I know for me, it's very traditional in Japan, but my family kind of did this no matter what was we um, never wore shoes in the house. We just did it. It was Mm. like I grew up with that. I know from Korea definitely because you don't wear shoes in the house either but I think we did it before not 100% sure but I know that every single place we moved to even when we were living in Guatemala instantly shoes were off do not wear shoes in the house and it was just something we brought with us every place so I guess like for yourself what's a tradition or a quirk or something that you know is characteristic to where you live that you kind of bring with you
3: hmm
1: I don't know. This is a really difficult one because I've I've struggled a lot, a lot with my identity as both a Honduran and a, and a Palestinian. And I think there was a time that I actually tried to mm-hmm. like I would actively reject it. So I was like trying to change the way I, I behaved and stuff. Um, one thing that was very made clear to me that I that everybody thought was weird is I remember when I arrived to WPI like Worcester Polytechnic for my undergrad degree, and I was sitting with all the Latinos. You know, are trying to like talk to the people you sort of feel comfortable with. Uh, I had a friend who's a really close friend now, but I really struggled because um, it was a matter of personal boundaries. As a Palestinian, you would never reach out to the other side of the table. I imagine there's a lot in a lot of cultures. And you would never pick the food from somebody else's plate. This is like absurd, you know, like you just don't do this. Like yeah. we will eat like in really traditional Arab households, like people will eat from a single big plate, but you eat directly what's in front of you, right? You dig in like, you know, just... just like uh, linearly inside and then somebody else wants to grab some food. It's like, hey, can you pass me that? Somebody from like their territory pass you, let's say, a lamb leg or whatever, right? Like, a leg Mm -hmm. lamb or whatever. And I remember my friend Mateo comes in, sits down and he's like, yo, that looks pretty good. Let me try. And he just like reaches out and he just, like, forged <laughs> something in my plate. And I was just so disgusted. Like, that's the best word to describe it. I, my appetite fell. I was just like, damn, I don't want to eat it. And was like, looking at me. all the other Latinos. Because they're, like, thinking, oh, I mean, this guy's from Honduras. He must be Latino like we are. But it's, like, for me, it's, like, oh, wow. And I, and I came to realize, like, wow, I've been dealing with a, even in, in Honduras, there isn't a big, like, second generation Palestinian community but there's a big third and fourth generation Palestinian community so I used to get along with people mm-hmm. who like call themselves Palestinians but they may, may, might not actually speak Arabic or, or know a lot about the culture but you retain these quirks right so like people are still very mm-hmm. the way they sit down in the table is very like formal and stuff right and um, and I was just going nuts and I remember that that <laughs> that uh, that was something I retained and it took me forever to get used to uh, my friend Mateo actually just barging into my house and eating my stuff. Like, it would take me forever. And everybody's like, yo, chill, we do this all the time. You can come into my house when you want. And I'm like...
0: I won't. I I won't,
1: right? I won't first and then second also because I would buy very particular things. We already had the conversation about food. It's like, I don't want the things you have, you know? So sorry to break it up. To put it like that, you know? But it's the way it
0: is. I don't want your garbage food. I want my
1: food. He came to visit me in 2019 here in Belgium. And when he left, uh, this was one of the biggest things. We were both really big fans of dark chocolate. He would just eat through my dark chocolate when we were in undergrad. And I told him here in Belgium, you still owe me, man, big time for all the dark chocolate. He walked into uh, like a supermarket and he bought like 15 bars or something of dark chocolate. And he we was just like, here it is. Don't ever mention it again. I'm tired, man. That was years ago. And I was just like, success. He paid back all his, what he owned. i was just, such a sense of victory. But that's one thing I guess. uh <laughs> That's uh, one thing about, like, uh, that I still carry with me. I guess it's... uh, I mean, now I'm a lot more chill about this. I don't really mind it. Um, But I think, you know, if anybody is, like... If I'm not particularly close to somebody and somebody does that, I would still be, like, oh, you know, a little bit (laughs) weeded out by it. The other thing I've also come to realize, and this is something that... um, you know, obviously when you start going to other countries you meet people who are maybe from your same like background culture but like lived in the other countries so when i first arrived to the united states and started meeting a lot of palestinians and a lot of other people i was very impressed about how in the united states a lot of times like there's a lot uh, the the idea of being like a second generation immigrant it's like tied with being like accepting of yourself self-care and stuff like that and that for me was very interesting because when i was growing up as a Palestinian in Honduras, uh, it was very much taught that Palestinians strap themselves by the boots, you know, by their like strap their boots or whatever the profession <laughs> is, and like you know just deal with life, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There isn't
1: you know a lot of like moaning around about like oh you know life is unfair, blah blah. It's like this idea of like nobody's gonna help you out except yourself. My mom used to actually tell me this: nobody's gonna help you out except yourself. And uh, and you know, and us Palestinians, we are where we are not because somebody had pity on us. On the contrary, mm-hmm. every everything was set mm-hmm. against us, and we are here because we've done a good job. So I came to the U.S. And I think I was uh, this was a very big learning process for me, uh, like more like deeply. Right. Because I used to be so uh, until this day, I I tend to be not forgiving to myself, you know, and I think that's because uh, there's such already like an expectation as a Honduran Palestinian specifically uh, to like have this like, you know, hard-headed idea of like if you're gonna make it in life it's because it's all about you you know you're you're gonna life i mean obviously there is this idea of like destiny and stuff sometimes the Palestinian culture and like what god wants right and stuff like that but but the idea is that you know ultimately you you take whatever chance like god gives you or whatever right like it's just there and you should take it and you should be there ready for it like there is no pity nobody's gonna like feel pity for you in life and for me that was very different i met a lot of palestinians and like even other kids who are second generation immigrants and a lot of them were like you know, they would throw words around, not not to say that they have no meaning, but, like, you know, they talk about, like, generational trauma, for example. And this, for mm-hmm. me, was just, like, mm-hmm. like, it just sounded like a, like, almost like a, like, an escape goat. You know, like coming from a, such a hard-headed place, you know, like, what do you got on to top? Like, just generational trauma, Like, trauma, are you, are you ungrateful for what your parents did? You know, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, th- like, mm-hmm. obviously, now I look back, and, you know, that's extremely judgmental from my part, but, but that was, a, like, something I also, like, that, that like you know going back to your original question there are the behavioral quirks like that and then there's also like the deep identity like this is this is for me is relevant right the mm-hmm. deep identity aspect that was something that was really clear to me that i carried with me and it's been it's been hard to actually uh recognize this in myself and also be able to um to realize that you know it could be it can be a good thing it can drive you to good places but at the same time when you're alone when you're in a foreign country you know, self-care, self-care is important, right? So you can't just, you know, burn yourself out as well.
0: Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. it yeah. sounds like a lot of it was uh, such a stress on self-reliance and on the inner, on working within the inner group that there was very little, I will accept help from the outside because if I accept help from the outside, then I cannot rely upon myself.
1: Well, it's not necessarily that. I think also there's just this realization that there really isn't, help from the outside you know like Mm. the Palestinian narrative i don't think is one that has become really empathizing to palestine until recently you know like Mm -hmm. maybe you look back 10 years ago 20 years ago like there weren't a lot of articles defending the palestinian community and then if there were they weren't on like big newspapers Mm -hmm. like the new york times you know it's Mm -hmm. the younger population who are like oh man you've seen what people have done to palestine like that's unfair right so when you're growing up let's say my father's generation my father went, you know, through World War II. He went through the British Mandate. He went through like also the the start of the Israeli like uh, conflict and all those things. And and when things were in black and white, nowadays people pitch the Israeli conflict as much more black and white, which it isn't right. But you know, my dad grew up beside uh, his best friend and neighbor when he was growing up was was Jewish because back then there was just like the British, man- Palestinian British Mandate, and Jews and, and and Muslims and Christians lived side by side. Um, and 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 you see all that, right? There's this idea that, you know, like. When you look at all that reality and you look back, you realize like these people were just off on their own, you know, like all the things were against them. So it's not that, oh, I can't rely, I can't rely, you know, among my community or somewhere else. I might be, I might be cast, you know, cast out, you know, ostracized. I don't think that was the reality on the contrary. I don't think anybody was offering help, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, the quality of life of the world has improved. A lot of people forget this. People talk about how bad life is. (laughs) But like, I remember my dad would always tell like, tell me, oh no, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't a polio vaccine. It's like, god oh, it's crazy to me. It was no polio <laughs> yeah, vaccine. Yeah, that's man. pretty <laughs> wild. You know, like, because my dad—he lived till he was ninety-two, but like, and he like, lived through all these different, you know, experiences, wars and stuff. And he would always tell me, like, there's no polio vaccine. I lost, I lost two siblings to disease. You know, uh, people didn't really know what was up with a lot of stuff, and and he would always tell me sort of these like stories. And um, and and yeah, you you think about that. I don't think anybody back then sort of like had any bandwidth to spare you know (laughs) to be honest yeah Yeah. right so uh especially to a foreigner who like just showed up or i mean not to say that people were not good-hearted right but it's just the reality is that you know the world was less globalized people were less aware of what's going on across the world and stuff so so i mean Mm -hmm. i i would imagine my dad's for example experience moving from palestine honduras must have been extremely different than me Mm -hmm. like you know imagine just coming on and being cut off to the world Like, you know, I complain about the language. I can always just get on a FaceTime call and talk to a friend who speaks my language. Uh, Mm -hmm. But my dad, you know, shows up to Honduras, doesn't speak, like, maybe there's one or two other Arab immigrants. And it's him, you know, has to learn Spanish. And, like, get used to that, right? Uh, That's just, you know, like, very, like, that that changes your own perception of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, it does. Mm -hmm. You know, you look back, you probably think of yourself as, like, somebody who, like, relied on himself versus... And I always tell people like this, it's like when I came to the U.S. as well, there was like the international office, they talked about like, you know, uh, culture shock and all these things. And like, they made it really, the support, you know, they can talk, talk come to a counselor. And I'm like thinking, oh, yeah, my dad had done that, you know, like he <laughs> couldn't call home, right? Like, uh, so I think this is where it comes from, um, ultimately.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. So moving forward with it, as a TCK, do you... I mean, it sounds you've kind of answered it, but I I think it is an interesting question in itself is as a TCK, do you find yourself trying to conform or do you find yourself wanting to stick out? Is there, do you try and fit yourself into the culture that you are living in or do you find yourself on purpose standing out as like part of your person? I know for me, I think that in some way subconsciously I try to conform but I think generally I try and stand out because I know that I'm never really going to fit in so why like try and like force myself into this box of requirement which I know I will never that will never happen I think Marcus you and I when we talked about this you're in the same mindset where it's like you're not really going to conform
2: yeah, it's it's just partly because you can't. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's just an interesting question because you, you, you sort of feel like you do have, you want to sort of fit in to an extent, but the problem is people just call out, well, not call out, but they'll point out things that you do that they don't do. Mm-hmm. And it must it must happen to so many people because if it happens to me on a regular basis when people suddenly go, well, that's, you know, different groups of people will point out things that are different. It's just, it must, I don't know, I'm assuming it happens to pretty much everybody that there's there's a kind of a tension. hmm
1: yeah, I mean I agree with that fully and I think I think there are certain experiences I've lived through that just have taught me that there are there are moments to be yourself and there are moments to conform obviously uh, when mm-hmm. it's a like example here in Belgium where there's a bunch of Belgians and I'm speak, and I don't speak you know uh, Flemish and you know I won't try to like force a conversation into English like or something like that of course um, mm-hmm. I'm respectful of all those cultural boundaries at the same time I don't I'm not trying to like you know be Belgian or anything like that and I think and I think what I've come to realize is like there are things that I really enjoy about certain cultures and, I, and there are things that I deeply like reject. And I like, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, and and I'll give you an example. Like I don't like here in Belgium at university, for example, that barely very people ask questions. Very people, like very little people do. And um, and I hate that and I'm always asking questions. And I think people actually got caught on now, like oh, even the Belgian students ask a lot of questions because it's just it makes more sense. You know, they realize like, oh man, I should just yeah. ask if I don't understand. That for me is like, I never tried to conform there. Like, I'm not intimidated by the professor. I don't care if he looks at me and he thinks <laughs> probably that oh, I'm in the stupid American, right? Like, or whatever. Because I sound, I, also that's something that's really confusing to people. It's like, I sound extremely American, even though I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. And and there's that, you know? And then, yeah, it's like, once you talk, that's one of the points that people always point out. It's like, oh, well, that's weird. You speak English really well, and then you're not American. Like, what's up, you know? Or like, all the way around, or, or whatever. And, um, and I think that's, but for me, it's always like, There are things that even in my home cultures I don't appreciate. Like I remember, um, I've always been really inquisitive of my own home culture, home religion, but I've had a lot of like encounters with my own family about like how critical I can be of it. Like um, there was a time I never thought of Arabic or Spanish as like superior languages to English. I never did, you know, like this is why I try to hone my English so well. And I don't think this is you know like an accurate thing. I think I was just young and like, you know, confused. Uh, mm-hmm. And um and I would and I would always be like, oh man, you know, but the Arabs do it that way. You know, like other people in developed countries do it differently. Cause that's different. I'm I'm a TCK of two, you know, like countries that are not per se developed, right? Or Western or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. So the experience there is very different, for example, that being like a second generation immigrant in in the United States, right? Where like the United States is like, mm-hmm. let's say, an icon of the world and then your family's from Palestine or Algeria or or India or whatever, right? Like, no, it's like you look down, like, Honduras is this country known for being the most violent country in the world, and then Palestine has, like, known to be occupied and has, have, has the second-worst world, pa- w- world passport. And, like, you know, it's, like, only followed by South Sudan. So there's nothing to look... It was very hard as a kid to look down into my cultures and say, like, oh, man, I am so proud to be that, right? Because there was nothing, truly, like, that would stand out. And also, as a person who wanted to do science, it was very difficult to find a scientific uh, culture and history in my cultures as well. Like, um, there wasn't, you know, like, there's no big... Uh, Nobel Prize winners coming out of Honduras or Palestine right or stuff like that it was until a lot later that I became a lot more knowledgeable and started reading about Palestinian authors and stuff that I realized oh there is a there is a cultural inheritance that isn't just folkloric music you know there are modern philosophers that talk about Mm -hmm. world issues and stuff and that was very interesting to me but it took a while and and for me like I would reject this like I would really just refuse to speak Arabic at home for example um, we, we refused the notion that I could ever date a Middle Eastern woman, for example. Like, just refuse it, you know, like, and, I, and, and it, was, it, was, it was intense, and I look back, and I'm like, wow, like, I, I had to go through that, and, you know, and to realize that I had to become also disappointed with, with my, my, my idealism of other cultures as well, to realize mm-hmm. that, oh, man, you know, every single culture has, and I think that, beca- that became more of a thing. Uh, once I moved to Europe and I realized like, man, this place is great. I'm not going to say it's not, but there are big things that I don't like about this place. And, um, and not that they're better or worse, they're just like different. It's just not the, my preference, right? And it's the same thing about the United States, the same thing about Honduras, the same thing about Palestine, right? So it took a while, but... Um, and this is where, you know, when you ask the question of like, do you accept, do you try to fit in? It's, again, it's very circumstantial and it depends point by point. But I think the thing that I appreciate the most in anybody, as a friend even as a partner, as anything, is, is I've come to realize is this awareness that mm-hmm. I am not, mm-hmm. um, that I'm not like, let's say, just a product of my cultures, right? Uh, that I am much yeah. more than that, that. I am critically thinking. And uh, uh, the previous person I was dating, I think was very, um, was very aware of this. And I was very appreciative of that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, through that relationship, I came to realize that it's not something I only look forward in a relationship. I also look forward, I, look, I, look, I appreciate this in friendships as well and uh even even with my my mom for example now when we talk she's come to also realize that i'm not just a product of honduras and Palestine. like i've lived abroad so long that like sometimes i'll switch to english and she's like oh wow you know um so i i become (laughs) really appreciative but but yeah definitely definitely like you know there there isn't just a straight up answer to that it depends but i i'm i'm very verbal when it comes to something i don't like for example (laughs) i've called i've called out people on things that i think is racism here in Belgium. Even though people will tell yeah. me, "Yeah, people will tell me, you know, no, it's not racism. It's not like it's not like we're doing the United, like in the United uh-huh. States, you know." And I'm like, "Yo, dude, no, this is maybe an institutional racism, but like acting like that is is cultural racism, you know?" Because I think there's there's difference like between, uh, and this is why I also don't like when people just generalize again, uh, social civil civil issues, civil uh, problems, and civil rights issues in around the world. They're contextual again. And i've seen in both sides where americans will generalize situations in in um in europe depending on american standards and the other way around but i don't like this idea that some people actually do call themselves exempt of these problems right it's like come on man like i mean i know we're <laughs> in the 21st century but like that the notion that you live in a utopia it's, it's hard no, to you no know? that's not how it works
0: sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. there is no utopia right now
1: <laughs> yeah so I'll, i mean I'll, I'll i'll reject you know these sort of things for sure you know <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're getting close to the end, but I do have one last question for you because I think it is something that um, it, we, we've lived through it and we know what it's like coming out uh, of, you know, having been in TCK and where we've lived. But uh, what advice do you have for a young person, uh, be it a child or a teenager, whatever it may be, who is going to move to a new country? Either this is their first move or this is their 40th move, whatever it is. That's a lot for a young person. <laughs> but, like, what would, advice do you have for a young person who is going to be moving to a new country?
1: I would argue that um, it depends on why you're moving what and, like, what you're trying to gain from it or, or, or lose from it or whatever. But I would argue one has to be critical about... His interpersonal relationships in this regard, it was very clear to me. I've been reading um together by Vivek Murphy, really good book as well uh talks about loneliness, and I was a person who travels a lot like this is an issue I deal with a lot personally, and he makes a difference between three levels. I don't know think if it's it's him personally, I think he cites a paper, but the whole point is like there's three levels of, of loneliness like a three, three, need, three levels of need of social need. there's like intimacy friends and family, and then community and like the idea of a country maybe, or something bigger. Um, it's important to cre- think critically and be able to distinguish, I- I'd argue, uh, between these needs. I've been a lot in situations where I'm very frustrated because maybe the, commun- the community and and, 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 ident- and and political identity or something like that, personal aspect of me is not satisfied and 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 i and i find it hard to distinguish that uh, bet, uh, from from i'm not satisfied with my friendships
3: mm-hmm.
1: mm, yeah i think that's like my recommendation to uh people who are going to travel and maybe like uproot themselves right uh it is dangerous to do so but it, it one has to be has to look within to be able to say like you know what these are my specific needs and work them because one has to be proactive and one has to be able to uh to yeah one has to be proactive and one has to be able to actually, like, attend to these needs. Yeah, or do you need new friends? You make sure that, you know, you're attending to the need of new friends and not maybe the need of a personal intimate relationship or the other way around. Do you need a sense of community? Join a community, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Don't expect that your sense of community is going to come from your Friday night beers with your peers, you know, because it might not. It might, <laughs> it might, you know, but it might not, right? Like, there's, there's a difference between those levels of fulfillment and that, that, would, that, that for me is, like, my advice. It's, it's be aware of the nature Uh, of the fulfillment you seek and 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 be active and 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 act upon that and and then don't don't confuse and and complain about maybe uh about like oh man but my friendships aren't giving me what i need maybe your friendships just are not the thing that you should be expecting yeah the Mm. you shouldn't expect your friends to give you whatever you know fulfillment you want in that regard very i think that's Mm -hmm. a very important thing to
2: keep in mind Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's actually really important advice because it's one of those things is that you don't think about it because you just, just hope that when you arrive somewhere that everything's going to slot into place. And I suppose it does actually take work to try and find people and meet people and make sure that you are sort of looking at yourself and how what you want from the situation. But also, you know, understanding that other people don't have to give you things if they don't, you know, that it's not their job to give you stuff. Uh, but also, you, you know, you have to be willing to give to people as well. I suppose it's a difficult one when you move, isn't it? Because it's like trying to set up that kind of sense of community and stuff like that can take a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and that's difficult. That's always been difficult for me because I've been moving like, let's say, mm. every six months to a year. And mm. it, was, it was very clear to me at one point that like I was failing in these three regards. And, and I was, until I read the book, I was like, man, I am, now I, I sort of understand why I'm so unfulfilled. It's not that, it's not that my friends, you know, abroad are making me feel unfulfilled. No, it's like, Maybe I do, you know, long for a more personal relationship, right? Like an intimate relationship. Maybe I do long for a sense of community, right? Because some people can sell this idea that you're a global citizen. You know, some people are very comfortable with that. I personally might not be, Uh, but that's the reality, right? And, and uh, just, it's important to keep that in mind because I think these can be a big driver on like what you want to do next. I think if you asked Shai from two years ago, would you move to a random country again? I would have said yes. Now i'm much more critical and i think oh you know like if i move again will i even be able to continue to develop a sense of community maybe not you know maybe that's important right i don't want to find myself being 35 and just feeling like i have nowhere to be for no reason Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. for me that's a very scary thought right like this idea that there is nowhere to be for no and no reason at all to be anywhere uh can Mm -hmm. be scary some people are like you know long for that sense of freedom for me it's like i know i'm a Maybe it's my engineering me i i I look for a sense of purpose in in life or something like that but yeah I but mean, just keep... i
0: would i would say i I totally agree with that I think for me when I first moved back to the states, I was very apprehensive because I didn't feel American, I didn't feel French, I didn't feel like anything of these cultures that I had grown up with. I felt like this mashup of everything, so when I moved back, there was this this kind of fear of oh, what is going to be expected of me because I act and look American, whatever that means, um, but I, I'm definitely not going to fit the mold that people are going to expect of me. And I think over time, by you know, reminding myself that I need to be myself, I need to accept that I'm a little bit of everything, but I still want to find that sense of community. I still want to be able to mm-hmm. reach out and talk to other people um, I know with COVID, it's actually been a moment where I realized how much I really relied on the people on the community that I have built now that I'm in this city, because there are these people that even if I wouldn't consider myself a close friend of theirs, I saw them often enough and they matter to me enough that now that I don't see them on a fairly regular basis, I miss them. I miss that mm. community that I had built
1: yeah i agree 100%. i think when i went back to honduras right now even over over covid and i was meeting people at a distance it was just very efficient to me be like oh wow i know i don't talk to you and we're so different like that often but it's like we we share this sense of like there's something that is common in us maybe it's the language maybe it's the fact that we grew up together or something right but it's like this idea right and just keeping that in mind you know keeping keeping in mind your personal needs and like what can provide each what can fulfill each need and uh, and everything and that's really important right because the reason you move is Especially as an adult, tends to be like, let's say, you're moving for a partner, you're moving for work, you're moving for education, and there's so much more to life than like, that one single thing that you're moving mm-hmm. for, probably, you know. Yeah. Um, but then again, and I I, I, I don't have an answer for this, right? Like, it's a personal choice, but like, is 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 that one thing worth, you know, like, uh, like gambling on the rest? Yes or no, you know, and what? And again, like, is is your move mutually exclusive with the rest? I don't think so, but it definitely is if you don't try, right? If you move, let's say for your mm. master's degree, and you don't try to fill in the holes of friends, community, personal relationships, and other stuff, maybe mentorship. Um, yeah, that that I I think that can be dangerous. At least for me, I think like when I was when I moved to the US, I remember I and this was the weirdest thing. I never thought I would miss. I missed hanging out with older people being on like a campus mm. because it was like you know i could just really use some advice right now and there was nobody except like people at this my same age who could give me that advice and this goes back to the point of community right like like you know like oh man i and, and that was something that now when i'm in belgium like i try to not be like oh i'm a student i'm gonna live a student life like no you know i'm i'm a guy in belgium i'm, a, I'm young yeah sure i want to meet people who are older who are younger who have different aspirations you know i want to have close friends i can trust i want to have like you know uh, you know, like, I'm open to, like, maybe having a relationship here even though I'm, I move or not. You know, like, I don't know. But the whole point is I'm actively, like, critical about, like, the interactions I'm having. I'm not being too passive about it. It's like I meet a guy who I really like. I'm like, yo, you can be my friend, you know. Like, I, I can see myself, like, <laughs> hanging out with you, not just being, like, a classmate or whatever. I, um, you know, I, I meet somebody who's older. I can, like, hey, you know, that can be a professional peer. You know, why not? Not, not just, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a guy I met once. You know, I'll move away. It doesn't really matter, you know. Mm-hmm. and I think I think ultimately the the most important thing about this is also this is your in into any country as well right if you have nothing attaching you to a country uh, it's just going to be like a touristy spot for you unfortunately right yeah. um yeah. and I think at the end of the day I don't know if everybody like obviously people have different reasons to travel but like I, I would imagine a lot of people who listen to this podcast you know have have emotional attachments to like the places they want to be in and I think as an adult um It's been more difficult to like have an emotional attachment, maybe, because when you're a kid, you go and it's like, oh, that's where I grew up. That's a place I grew up in, right? It's like easy to remember to uh, reminisce, but as an adult, it's like that's a place I worked for for two years. It was okay, you know, because I've had that, right? Like I've I've lived like some places I worked there, and it's like it was okay. You don't want that to be your story. Like I remember I lived in this place called Jamestown, Massachusetts sorry, Jamestown, New York, it's in western New York state, like, almost by Erie, Pennsylvania, and I look back, and I made all these mistakes I'm talking about, and I look back, and I'm like, man, Jamestown sucked, it's not that it sucked, it's just, like, I didn't know anybody, and I was just not trying to meet anybody, right, <laughs> I just being, I was just like a scared guy, blah, blah, you know, like, and I look back, and I'm like, yeah, I could have done a better job by realizing, like, realizing that my job there wasn't giving me to provide me all the friends I needed, you know, like, realizing that, uh, I needed to meet people that, all the people I knew were older, I needed people who are my age, I needed to meet people who are younger than me, I needed to meet people uh, who I can, like maybe I could like actually confide with, like, you know, like a friend. Yeah, I didn't do that at all. Uh, And I look back and I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad I learned my lesson. Now in Belgium, I'm trying to do a better job at that. I'm, you know, I'm reaching out. And it's hard obviously with COVID to actually meet people. We meet outside in the cold weather, rain. freezing
0: um, hello how are you it's, it's yeah. very nice to be friends isn't it <laughs> exactly
1: uh, but you know we try so <laughs> that's my advice
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Shadi. This has been very, very fun. It has been lovely really speaking good. to you and doing this. Um, so, I just want to encourage everyone uh, definitely leave us a comment or review. We're anywhere where you can find wonderful free podcasts. Um, and that's part of it. It's free. Um, so, uh, if you want to reach out to us, we are on Twitter. It is Passport, N E C E S S 1 don't know why that's what we got but it's what we got and we're rolling with it (laughs) i twitter is a hellscape um but anyway Uh. if you want to reach out to me i'm on twitter um but yeah thank you so much for uh joining us today and we'll see you next time
3: bye
1: thank you